Oh, we got to do a show? That's okay. <laughs> We're ready for you. Always. Good Wednesday, hump day here for you on Birds 365, show number 13. Some people think that's an unlucky number. I think it's a lucky number, as a matter of fact. We'll know two hours from now when we put a wrap on this bad boy. Yes, we are your Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. Jody McDonald along with my partner, John McMullen, who's looking chipper this morning. How are I you, Mr. Go, McMullen? I'm doing well. I wouldn't go that far. I'd like that you're a numbers guy. You got number 13 because we got a numbers guy in the first hour. So that's apropos to me, Jody. I think we, we've done a good job going out of the box to bring the people into draft rooms like we did with Blake Bedenfield yesterday. We had Matt Manicharian on as a scout to give you that kind of view. Now we got a numbers guy, numbers guy, Brad Spielberger. When when you uh, tweeted me, texted me yesterday and said, what do you think about this guy? Look at the stuff he's putting up on Twitter. I said, yeah, that's different. That's the kind yeah. of stuff that we want to talk about. Uh, the movement by general managers and their trends over the years. Some fun stuff. Uh, we will introduce you to Brad Spielberger uh, about, oh, 18, 19 minutes from now. Uh, but yes, we are getting dangerously close. I'll give you another number. Single digits. We're now down to eight days before the NFL draft, and everyone is doing their best guessing slash speculating slash following trends. And I'll give you a trend that I'm starting to think could actually happen. Bottom line is, I haven't hit 51% possibility yet. I don't know if you can ever hit 51% unless you have like the first or second pick. Yeah, you can figure out the Jaguars and what they're going to do. It seems like we know what the Jets are going to do. Shoot at number three with San Francisco. I still think it's about 50-50 between Mac Jones and Justin Fields. But I'm seeing more mock drafts in people's opinions that at number 12, the Eagles may have the chance to draft Devonta Smith, the Heisman Trophy winning wide receiver from the University of Alabama. You know I'm all about outside players at number 12 for the Eagles, be they cornerbacks or wide receivers. If Mr. Smith is available for the Eagles at number 12, there is no way possible they can pass him. If they do that, <laughs> Howie Roseman wow. is opening himself up for second-guessing for the next decade. Mark my words. Well, he's going to get second guess no matter what. You know that, Jody. He can draft your favorite player, but somebody else is going to want somebody else. And, you know, we were just talking at the Phillies game. What are they saying? Fire Howie. Fire Howie. You know, the Eagles put anything on Twitter, and the first 10 comments are Fire Howie. That's where he is and in, in his shelf life. I mean, these fans don't want Howie Roseman. So he can draft Devontae Smith. He can draft an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman. Kyle Pitts, maybe Kyle Pitts would be the one guy because he's a Philly kid. People have talked uh, about him like he's a unicorn, but there's no way he's going to drop to number 12. Maybe he would satiate enough of the fan base. But, boy, I mean, that's just where Howie Roseman is. Until he succeeds with these draft picks, people are going to give him you-know-what. But I, I will say this, Jody. I agree with you. One of the two Alabama receivers are going to be there at 12, I believe. So I, if you were one of those people that said, how he's got to stay at six to get Devontae Smith or how he's got to stay at six to get Jalen Waddle, and he gets him at 12, you should 
give him some credit. Exactly. I'll just say that. Uh, you, Jeff Laurie, and I think he kind of cares more about Jeff Laurie than either you, I, or any other Eagle fan. You're right. It would be a grand slam home run for Harry Roseman if he gets that talented a player at number 12. And I hope you're right that one of the two Alabama receivers does come down far enough for the Eagles to just sit right there, keep that extra number one in their back pocket that they got from the trade down from the Dolphins, be able to get that talented a player. Let me ask you a question. And I do watch college football. I'm a college football fan. Much like college basketball, I love both sports. But truth be told, maybe it's in my DNA. We talk about the Eagles' DNA enough. My DNA is as a talent evaluator. With my father having been a professional general manager, uh, albeit baseball, uh, but on the major league level, I always am looking at what is this guy going to become when he gets to the next level, be it basketball or football. And I do watch the game with an eye in that direction every single time. And Devonta Smith captured my attention when he caught the winning touchdown pass for a national championship. When Tua Tungavaloa came off the Alabama bench, replacing who? Oh, that would be Jalen Hurts, mm. the Eagles starting quarterback. And who does he go to, to uh, get the game winning touchdown in the fourth quarter? A freshman wide receiver by the name of Devonta Smith on a 41-yard touchdown uh, grab to lift them to a championship. So from that point on, I was intrigued by the young man, and he has done nothing to disappoint over the entire course of his collegiate career. Well, the only thing, I wouldn't say disappointment, but he surprised me. When he decided to come back for his senior year this year, I thought for sure he was coming out. I said on my other broadcast outlets last year, way early in the season that Alabama's going to have three wide receivers taken in the first round of the draft. That's unheard of. One university to get three wide receivers taken in the first round? Well, it didn't happen because Devonta Smith chose to go back to school, which I sure as hell didn't see happen. I thought he was the best wide receiver in the Alabama class last year. I sure as hell think he's the best wide receiver in the Alabama class this year, seeing as he won the Heisman Trophy and Waddle was down for a good chunk of the season with an injury. Why are people, some people, not all, but some, rating Jalen Waddle ahead of DeMonta Smith? It makes no sense to me. Well, he's, you know, a lot of NFL scouts. Remember, it's about projection. It's about projection to the next level, not what you did at the previous level. So a lot of NFL scouts look at Jalen Waddle. They see the explosiveness. He's a little bit more... Uh, uh, you know, Tyree Kill. I hate that comparison, but people always throw out the name Tyree Kill when they talk about Jalen Waddell. I don't think it's fair. They do it every year with certain players. But when he puts his foot in the ground, Jody, he's gone, Jalen Waddell. He's that type of game breaker. And that puts such a stress on, you know, NFL defense. It, it, it was one of the reasons, by the way, the same type of thinking the Eagles went Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson in last year's draft. They Correct. wanted that type of player who could do the jet sweeps, the orbit motions, who could do the manufactured touches. You can give him the ball at the line of scrimmage and he might break one for a home run versus the well-rounded route runner uh, who can, who's way ahead of the curve when it comes to the route tree that can do everything as a receiver, can play inside, can play outside. Turns out in the short term, doesn't mean Jalen Rager can't be a good player. Turns out in the short term, it didn't look very good. Now, talk all the time. You know, 
Some of it has to do with scheme. I told you yesterday on the show, Kirk Cousins is a high-volume passer. You know, Chandler Rager's out there. He probably puts up better numbers if if he stayed healthy. Um, so a lot of it depends on a lot of different things. But basically, you hear this all the time. We heard it from Blake Bedenfield. You know, what's your favorite? Howie Roseman loves to say this. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream? What type of player do you want? Well, I want the player who succeeds and puts up the biggest numbers. And well, then that's you know that's you got to debate, and you probably want Jamar Chase to be honest. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm I'm not moving off this. I think Jamar Chase is going to be a superstar, and I'm about ninety eight percent sure that he's going to come off the board before either of the two wide receivers from Alabama. Um, Rick Saratella, who we'll have on uh, with us again next week. We had him on uh, previously talk about the draft. I, I remember Ricky telling me last year um, before Chase decided to, to opt out that doing his draft prep work, he got a chance to talk to a bunch of SEC cornerbacks, guys who had to cover Ruggs and Judy and Devonta Smith and Chase and uh, a whole bunch of guys and asked them all, who was the toughest guy you had to cover over the course of the last year, two years, depending on whether the guy was a junior or a uh, senior coming into the draft. And he said to a man, they all said Jamar Chase. I said, okay, that's pretty damn impressive. That's something I can't refute. I will remember something like that. But remember that Jamar Chase did sit out the year. And this is something we've never faced before in evaluating these talents. Sometimes you got to make a call on a guy who's coming back from injury, which has its own hurdles that you have to get over. But we've never had guys just say, yeah, I'm not playing this year, but I'm going to put my name in the NFL draft hopper. Uh, Please tell me where you think I'm going to go. Uh, I don't know what kind of an effect it's going to have on Jamar Chase. I don't know what kind of effect it's going to have on Panay Sewell. I don't know what kind of effect it's going to have on Micah Parsons. And I don't know what kind of effect it's going to have on the NFL and how they will or won't evaluate these players knowing that they haven't played football in over a year. It depends on the player. You know, you bring up I, – I asked J.C. Horn that question. He said Jamar Chase, the question you were saying about, you know, who was the toughest receiver. So when you have a talent to that degree – and Daniel Jeremiah said this as well. Nobody's questioning Jamar Chase around this league. Nobody. Because that's how good he is, even though he opted out. On the other hand, you have Greg Russo, who's the defensive end from Miami, Florida. Had a great season, 15 and a half sacks, I think. But that's the only season he played, and and then he opts out, and you don't get to see him. He had injury history before. He's regarded as a boom or bust type. And the fact that, you know, people haven't seen him on the field has him kind of tumbling down the draft boards. Earlier in the process, I thought he was – there was at least a slight chance the Eagles might consider him at 12. Then he had a bad three-cone drill. Don't get me into that. At his pro day. And he tumbled a little bit even further. So it basically depends on the guy. You know, Chase and Sewell, they're they're so good, doesn't matter. But if you're if if there are questions about you and you didn't play, people are gonna hold that against you. Bottom line. 
And I can't fault teams for doing that because you become creatures of habit and you're used to seeing X amount of information that you can put into your equation that you're going to use to make a selection in the NFL draft. Oh, pulling out the previous year of a guy playing football is a pretty big subtraction. That, that, that's got to give you some pause when you're thinking about calling that guy's name out with your first round draft pick. Uh, even for a Jamar Chase and a Penesul, as you, uh, I think, correctly stated, are so good that there might not be as big an adverse effect as we think of a guy skipping a year where it does affect a guy like Russo. You got to have a little nerve to be able to do that. Or you look at it as, damn, you're going to get value. That I, I, I've had people tell me that Sewell is actually – the most talented player in the draft, above and beyond even a Trevor Lawrence. If you're just looking at the most talented, highest graded football player, had we just looked at the grades after the 2020 season, today Sewell might have been the top graded individual. If he falls down in the draft to five or six or seven, even though you don't have that last year to uh, judge him on and grade him on, that's pretty good when you get the most talented player in the draft or the highest rated player at the draft with the seventh pick of the draft. Yeah, I think most uh, evaluators I've talked to put Lawrence number one, but then you talk about who's the best position player. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's Sewell. Uh, people can argue Kyle Pitts. People can argue Jamar Chase. But I would say if you're just doing a big board, like we did with Jordan Reed from the Draft Network earlier this week, my one, two, three, four would be Trevor Lawrence, Sewell, Pitts, Chase. Maybe Chase over Pitts. But so the vast majority, uh, you know, position position players get pushed down the board for quarterbacks. And this is a, as we said, Jody, and as you believe as well, historic quarterback class. So Zach Wilson's pretty good. Justin Fields is pretty good. Trey Lance has a terrific, terrific upside. Uh, as far as a ceiling, uh, and Mac Jones is top 10 at this point, I think, pretty much locked in. That's that's pretty stinking good, and that means even when you get down to the fourth best position player, you're going to get tremendous, tremendous value. And the Eagles could have had the second. If, if all five go, they were sitting at number six. Was the, They would have the best player in the draft. That's what someone told me last night on, on WIP. The Eagles don't have the 12th pick. The Eagles actually have the seventh pick because they weren't going to take a quarterback. Well, they should five. have thought about it, though. They should have thought about it. I'm sorry. Taking a quarterback. Well, if and, just, and by the way, they did. I want to give them. I want to be fair, but I I kind of explained this yesterday on the show. If you think this is a historic quarterback class, and maybe the Eagles don't, um, so maybe that's the simple explanation. You have to look at a quarterback in this year's draft because next year's, it's very unlikely you have historic historic. Now sometimes it happens. Wide receiver. Everyone said it was a tremendous draft last year, says it's a tremendous draft this year. Very, very unlikely if you look at history at the quarterback position that you're going to have back-to-back years like this. So that's why it's kind of highlighted to me, well, the Eagles are probably thinking 2022. They're probably thinking veteran. They're probably thinking Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, somebody like that. 
do you think that that was a what percentage factor? And this might be uh, an unfair or too tough a question to actually come up with a number. What percentage do you think that factored in in the Eagles' decision to drop down to number twelve? That hey, this is a big quarterback class. Uh, the the league thinks it. Everybody's reporting it. Our fan base is going to think that. We're yeah. really pretty damn good with Jalen Hurts. And when I say we, I mean the boss, Jeff Laurie, is pretty damn good with Jalen Hurts. If we sit at six, there's a real good chance that one of this group is going to come down to us. If we go to 12, then there's a better chance that all five guys will be off the board. And we can say, hey, we never really had a chance at a quarterback. That's why we now have to rethink <laughs> it. Do you think that was part of how he's planned? I don't think so, because I don't think people are that dumb. They're going to realize, I mean, especially if the if the board falls and say you had an opportunity at Fields for the sake of argument, I don't think he'll be there. But nonetheless, people are going to say, well, you could have Fields. You shouldn't have dropped down. So I don't know how one, much. One th- of those being me. Yeah. You know that I'm going to say yeah. if Fields gets past six and uh, yes, the Eagles could have sat at six. And gotten a young man. You know what I'm going to say? Yeah. He's the old one. You know, I'm a Mac Jones fan. I think he deserves to be in this conversation. Those people who say San Francisco's crazy to be thinking about him at three. I don't agree with that. I think Mac Jones is going to be a stud. I'm not as big a Wilson fan as some other guys, even though he's going to come off the board at three. The only guy that I would really say, what were they thinking by passing on him to stick with Jalen Hurts, other than Trey... Uh, the the number one pick in the Trevor, draft, yeah. Lawrence, who's coming off number one. The only guy I'd really make a stink about is Fields. If he gets down to six, I think that highly of him is. Well, it. and and I think from the Eagles' perspective, and this kind of tells you something: if they had an opportunity, if they saw a path to get Zach Wilson, that was their guy. And 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 by the way, I always stipulate besides Lawrence, everybody wants Lawrence, mm-hmm. but they know there's no opportunity. So. Of, of the other quarterbacks, what they're telling you, yes, we would have taken Zach Wilson if, if, if there was an opportunity. Obviously, he's not going to fall to six. They certainly knew that Joe Douglas, at that point, they have a very close relationship, obviously, with him. They know the firewall is up. Uh, they knew they couldn't get him. That's when they moved back. And that tells you what they think of Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. Now, that's the big question. Are they right on that evaluation and say, well, we got to look at Jalen Hurts. Now I bring up Jeremiah again. He said Justin Fields and Trey Lance specifically because he wasn't asked about Mac Jones, but those two specifically have much. And he emphasized a much higher ceiling than Jalen Hurts. And now, you would... can hate on that all you want, but that's a, a pretty high-profile talent evaluator around this league. We've talked about this so much, uh, but I don't think I've ever asked this question of you directly the way I'm going to ask it now. Uh, You talked about the Eagles. Howie Roseman hasn't come out and said, well, one of the reasons we moved down for six is we uh, investigated what it would take to get back up into a position to get Wilson, and we found out that that was not the case. The Jets are picking him at two. Uh, Joe Douglas, he's never come on the record and said that. So it's all been reporting and off-the-record type stuff. Uh, It's probably accurate. I don't know 100%, but you're a good reporter, so you've probably gotten your information pretty well. Who do you like better, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson? Justin Fields. I, 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 
I think Justin, uh, I'm concerned. I think both are really good prospects. I think Zach Wilson has terrific arm talent, but you do have a little bit of concern about, you know, BYU. He threw from a lot of clean pockets and every NFL quarterback can throw from a clean pocket. Uh, That's, that's not the issue. So I have a little bit of a concern there. Uh, and then just the upside. I look there. There's probably uh, more boomer bust potential with with Justin Fields. Uh, so the bust position, um, you know, we always talk about it in the scouting circles the floor. I think Zach Wilson's floor is higher, um, but I think Justin Fields' ceiling is higher. So to me, that's what it comes down to. And I always look towards healing. I'm a dreamer, so I'm hoping for the best of the best. And I do agree with you. I think Fields' uh, ceiling is higher. All right. Will it be a wheeler dealer first round in the NFL draft? We're going to bring on a guy next who uh, gave us some good track record information about the general managers and what they usually do on draft days it's not just draft day anymore used to be two now it's all the way to three but uh, we're going to punch up brad spielberger uh who's been both an uh capologist writing for over the cap and now does his insights for pro football focus he's going to join us next here on birds 365 if you missed any of today's show on the jacob media channel listen to the podcast on your way home available on youtube apple and spotify the, the, the middle the middle did you hear that sound? Yeah, that that iron shot. If you want to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like. There are very few sounds of purity. That's oh. as pure as it gets. Oh, I've never heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you and me both, brother. Never heard it before. Never. <laughs> you and me both at that point. Jeez. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. 
got a Wednesday hump day edition of Birds 365 with the Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen and Jody McDonald. We're getting dangerously close to the draft. Not really. It's still eight days away. But it seems like it's been coming every day for the past three weeks. We've still got a little bit more to wait. But it doesn't mean we can't analyze it. We've got a help at hand for that coming up over the next 10, 15 minutes as he joins us. Brad Spielberger from uh, used to be over the cap, now pro football focus contributor and analyst in the NFL hops aboard with us on birds 365 how are you this morning Brad doing great how about you guys doing well Brad thrilled to have you I think this is such an interesting offseason for the Philadelphia Eagles especially and while I have you I want to talk about your GM story that you originally put on over the cap you kind of updated yesterday on, on Twitter but before I get to that you know the first thing you have to talk about with the Eagles when it comes to the salary cap is Carson Wentz and $33.8 million in dead money. Can you kind of tell the listeners how historic, what a precedent that is? I mean, it's never been done before in the league, and it's being done now in the pandemic year where you have to scale back in the salary cap for essentially the first time. Yeah, it really is uh, unprecedented to an extreme degree with Wentz. Um, I mean, Jared Goff actually set the record at his trade uh, at $22.2 million, um, And then Wentz almost adds $10 million onto, or does add, you know, over $10 million to $33.8 million in dead money. Um, it's, it's, I think, going to last as the largest, you know, total dead money amount um, for a long time. And even if the amount gets passed, as you mentioned, because the cap is $182.5 million, um, 33.8 out of 180, uh, 82.5. I can't do the quick math right now, but about a six, let's say, sure. I think that will never be surpassed probably for the, for the history of the NFL. That'll never be topped. Whoa. Oh, That's... well, but you might've <laughs> said that about Jared Goff. And then it was about 10 days later, the Eagles rewrote the record book. Uh, I understand what you're trying to say, but let me just get you on the record. Cause I know how I feel. I think it was justified. They admitted a mistake. Massive mistake, record-setting mistake, but it's better to admit it and move on than it is to keep them. I know a lot of people, our buddy Andrew Brandt, whose opinion I respect like almost no other, said it'll never happen because the Eagles won't do that, won't take that black eye. Yeah, they did, and I think they needed to take that black eye. So even though it is eye-popping and attention-getting, I personally think they did the right thing. How about you? I agree with you there. Yeah. So I actually don't think dead money should be a constraint all the time. Uh, like you said, it was clearly needed to be done. Um, you know, the relationship had soured all those things, but also just if you're going to do it, rip the bandaid off, go ahead and get it done. Um, yeah. So I agree with you. I, 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 it's historic from the, you know, just kind of the numbers perspective, but should they have let it basically stop them from making the move? No, I agree with you. They should not have. Brad, one of the one of sort of the fallouts of, of all that dead money for the Eagles, but this is sort of a league-wide type of thing because of the scale back in the salary cap is really those voidable years at the end of contracts, which um, has always been a thing. But it seems to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you have more of these one-year deals with four voidable years on the end to spread out any kind of signing bonus, roster bonus. When the cap does go up back up, and obviously that should start next year, but it's not going to go up as much as people expect because the TV money doesn't kick in yet and all that. But will that have a, a, a lasting effect on NFL teams that go that route a little bit too much all those voidable years? 
So I do like speaking with you know Eagles folks and Saints folks as well because you know you guys have been doing this forever. But yeah, um, yeah, but but obviously a lot of teams are dipping their toes in this water for the first time. But no, so I think you know the entire approach for the Eagles coming into this offseason and, and the Saints and other teams as well is that if the cap always rose as they obviously all expected it to, um, then you can kind of get through it. You know, it's not an ideal approach; it will create dead money at some point. But if the cap was 210 million, you know, instead of the 182 and a half that we have now, you know, they would have still had to make some moves. But I, I honestly also think that Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, Malik, like those guys were going to get moved on regardless. It wasn't just because of the cap. Um, so, yeah. So I do think the, the impact we'll see is that um, in 2022, but more so 2023 is when a lot of them end as well. There are a lot of the one year versions, like you said, but there's also a lot that are two years and then a bunch of void years. Um, teams will just take on you know a little bit of dead money. But at that point, again, as you said, with the TV money kicking in, probably some sports gambling money kicking in, um, all those things, the cap should jump. In two years from now, the cap should jump um, you know, a good chunk. And I think teams will just have some dead money, but they'll be able to work around it. I've got one more cap question for you. And, yes, a whole bunch of fans don't care what one about the guy. Just tell me whether the guy can play or not. Mm -hmm. But you can't do that in the world in which we live in the NFL because the cap is a very big, important part of it. And your guys' website, Over the Cap, uh, gives great information and lets geeks and, wa and wonks like us who follow every aspect of the league uh, to be completely informed. Where are your best sources? It's got to be one of three. Either you get money on new contracts from the teams, the players, a.k.a. their agents, and or the league itself. Where do you guys get your original information from when you double check it and make sure that the monies that you're saying are out there are accurate? How do you do that? How do you usually come about getting new information when players' contracts are signed? Uh, well, I guess I shouldn't, you know, reveal our sources, but I can tell you definitively that the league is not giving us any information. No. Um, you know, and team, yeah, and, te and, yeah, and teams themselves are also not giving us information. So I think you no. can do process of elimination <laughs> after that. Fair enough, uh, Brad. I want to shift to what you did at Over the Cap and now kind of updated it. And by the way, you can read now, uh, Brad, at Pro Football Focus. Now he breaks down the cap uh, cap issues really well there, but. Um, you, you took a look at the history of the GMs, and I think it's a, a prudent time for here, us in Philadelphia, because Howie Roseman is going to do his pre-draft availability later this morning uh, with Andy Weidel, Nick Sirianni. But uh, you looked at his history, and you looked at all the GMs' history, and there seems to be kind of four categories. And the go get him guy, which is Mickey Loomis, I mean, with the Saints. He just goes up. And, and gets his guy, the Stan Pat guys. And uh, that's sort of the Mike Brown types. Um, then you have the assemble draft capital guys, Rick Spielman, Bill Belichick types, John Schneider, maybe in Seattle. And then you got the guys that go up and go down and go up and go down. And, and that's kind of where Howie Roseman is. And is that in a lot of ways from your research, the most unpredictable GM? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, you know, I think uh, I do want to follow up and kind of also discuss, you know, wh when they're making the moves. So because yeah. um, obviously, you know, trading up later in the, dra in the draft, you know, I think is more. I don't know. We obviously think that trading up is, is generally a bad practice um, just from a value standpoint. Um, but but if you're doing it late in the later rounds, it's obviously not as bad as if you're, 
you know, make, making a big trade up in the first or something like that. Um, also, quarterbacks excluded. I'm, I'm not discussing the Wentz trade. I actually think that, you know, trading into the top five or top ten for a quarterback is kind of, you know, a different story uh, just because of how important that position is. But, you know, for example, like an Andre Dillard trade, like he, he looked like a great prospect, but that's every year we have that, um, you know, and sometimes things don't work out. So, but yeah, so he is very unpredictable. They move up and down. Uh, but I think they actually do a very good job of the way they navigate the draft. Uh, I think they add more value than they give up. And I think they also, by trading down, it enables them to move up because they kind of have some excess capital um, that they've accumulated. So they are one of the bigger wheeler and dealers. Um, but, you know, re recently they've been doing more moving down, um, obviously with the big trade this year. Um, and I think they're smart in that they approach it kind of how they – should approach it based on where their roster's at. So they were more aggressive. For an example, like with an Andre Dillard trade, they said, okay, we have a window. We're, you know, we just, you know, competed in a Super Bowl. Jason Peters is somehow still playing at 55 years old, but we <laughs> we need a left tackle. So it made sense then. Now I think they say, look, we're, we're kind of peeling it back a little bit. We're probably not going to be great this year. Um, let's add a future first round pick from the Dolphins, you know, in this trade they made down to 12. So I think they're actually very calculated and very smart in how they go about it. Brad, I'm going to ask you about general feel around the league in one <laughs> specific aspect. Ten years ago, 20 years ago, it just came onto the scene, the NFL draft value chart, which was created and within a year or two became almost the Bible of NFL draft day trades that you had to come out on the right end of the value chart for you to be able to do a deal. Over time, some teams decided that they didn't like it or didn't think it fit the way that they looked at things or was accurate enough or that the values were off. They created their own chart. There have been other ones out there. I've seen a handful over the years. But the original one that first came out is still the one that is talked about the most. Is it still used in league circles? Do teams still have that handy to make sure if they're talking a deal on draft day, they're getting enough value in return, or has it become a thing of the past? So it is still used, and I can tell you that based both on teams telling me that, um, but also uh, basically I ran an analysis. So, so we actually had over the cap, me and Jason Fitzgerald wrote a book and created our own, our own draft value chart. Um, it's not really trying to predict trades. It's not, it's not a good resource for trades, but it's more about how the teams actually value these picks or what you should expect from a production standpoint. Um, but yeah, so anyways, through that analysis and that research, we basically ran through every single trade and, and said, okay, like, is this a zero sum trade based on the Jimmy Johnson, that original chart? Um, and that chart is still controlling the marketplace. There are, there have been some tweaks and adjustments. Um, there's a chart called the Rich Hill chart, which is created the same way as Jimmy Johnson, where you just retroactively look at trades. But um, it, it, they're, they're very similar, um, and it does still appear that, yes, if you are trying to make a trade with another team, um, on average from 2011 to now, the rookie wage scale is kind of our focus. Um, the, the, two, the two trade packages are within about 9% of value, right? So kind of, you know, if one team gives picks XYZ, another ABC, um, those packages are still going to be pretty close in value with a small surplus, um, you know, for the team moving up, generally gives up a small surplus, stuff like that. So, yes, that, that chart. I know for some reason teams try to put, push back on that and say they're all looking at these different things. And I believe them that they're looking at other things. Um, but end of the day, when they make that phone call and say, hey, we're trying to move, or, you know, up or down, the other team says, OK, let, let us go check the Johnson chart. If it's if it's close <laughs> to zero sum there, then, then we got a deal.
You know, it's interesting you mentioned the quarterbacks. They kind of skew everything. And I think if you look, maybe the best example would be the Patrick Mahomes trade because there's a lot of revisionist history. But people were looking at the Chiefs at the time and saying, wow, you, you know, you're you're doing a lot for a guy that a prospect that people had concerns over from a mechanical standpoint. They don't want to admit that now because he's turned into such a superstar. But that was that was the theory at the time. But at that particular position, how does that skew value when you're looking at trade charts? Because it means so much. I mean, if you hit at the quarterback position, everything's valuable, no matter where you do it no matter how much you give up for it. 100%. Yeah, I think you touched on a couple good things there. Is that, yes, everyone loves to do revisionist history. And the example we always get is Julio Jones. Say, oh, this is a phenomenal trade up to number six to get Julio Jones. Well, the next year, the Jaguars traded to five and got Justin Blackman. The year after that, the Bills traded to four and got Sammy Watkins. And the year after that, the Rams traded to eight and got Tavon Austin. So (laughs) for every good example you can give me, I can spout off five bad ones. But yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the, the Chiefs, it was an expensive trade. It was a third and a future first and, of course, 27 um, to get to 10 for right. A guy that, you know, at the time we didn't know would, would become, you know, a phenom. But, um, you know, I think the thing there is, like you said, with the quarterbacks, it's interesting in the analysis, you can tell that the trade down team tends to know that the team coming up is coming up for a quarterback because those trades are always more expensive. Yeah. Um, so it's, so it's, even, even they know, like, look, we know that you have, you know, the potential, you know, excess value you could be getting from this trade is, you know, nuclear. Um, so we're going to pay, make you pay, you know, a bit of a premium, um, because it's for a quarterback, which I think is pretty interesting. Here's the reason why I think both of you guys are right on. And it kind of annoys me <laughs> looking at it from an Eagle perspective, <laughs> what the dolphins were able to get dropping from three back to 12 so far outweighs what the Eagles were able to get, dropping from six back to 12. It's only a three-slot difference, but it's an extra first-round draft pick and a locked-in pick rather than just moving up around, which the Eagles got. Why the big difference? Oh, because you're talking about the quarterbacks, because the uh, 49ers got into a place where they could take a quarterback at six, if you believe, there are five quarterbacks, so all five of them could be gone in the first five picks. You don't have that quarterback effect. It bothers me that the Eagles had to settle for that much less to drop back, but I understand it because, damn, if this top of the draft isn't quarterback-driven. 100%. And right. So the the 49ers at number three are guaranteed to get a quarterback, and I think we're seeing now that even if a quarterback does make it to number six where the Eagles were and the Dolphins now are, it's going to be probably the fourth, if not the fifth, you know, quarterback available um, and a guy that teams are less excited about. But I'll tell you – um, running the numbers on that Eagles trade already, um, it's actually similar in value, uh, almost identical f- per the Johnson chart, um, to when the Steelers traded up from 20 all the way to 10 um, for linebacker Devin Bush back in 2019. So, you know, they moved six spots. Obviously, six is a lot higher than 10. Um, but, they, you know, the Eagles moved down six spots and, and basically got the same value um, as the, the Broncos did moving from 10 down to 20. So it actually was a pretty solid trade for Philly. But I obviously I hear you, you know, the 49ers give Miami, a, you know, a ransom and Philly just got, you know, a, a decent package. Uh, Brad, is that what you find? I want to circle back to Howie Roseman. When you look at his history, because right now, I don't know if you know, but, you know, people here, they go to Philly's games. They say, fire Howie. They start chants. They, you know, the Eagles – 
published something on their website. The first 10 comments on Twitter aspire Howie. He's not very popular right now. But the thought around the league is the guy knows value. The guy gets value when it comes to trades. The bigger issue is the back end. Does he pick the right player when it comes down to, to the end game? But as far as value in his long history now, it's pretty long with trades moving up and down the draft board. How would you rate him? Yeah, so I do. I do know this is an unpopular opinion that I'm about to have. Yeah. Um, I've seen, you know, I've seen some of the Twitter comments and whatnot. <laughs> Look, I, I understand. I'm also, you know, I'm from Chicago, not not quite a Philadelphia esque fan base, but also, you know, a passionate fan base. That there's a lot of fire blank GM's name going on around here as well. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I understand that there's no debate that the the scouting aspect and the talent evaluation aspect has fallen short um, in a couple drafts, but. Um, yeah, and, and do they need help there? And do they need to add more people there because that's not his, you know, his scene? You know, I would argue yes. I think they have done that a little bit. Um, but from from a value perspective, he is, you know, it's kind of not even a debate. He is one of the better GMs um, in that realm. You know, he comes from kind of my background. He was football administration, so more contracts and salary cap, and and I think kind of trade values and stuff kind of falls under that umbrella as well. Um, I think he's done very well there, and I think the data supports that. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to hit on these draft picks, and, and that's the big thing. Um, so I think, you know, those two things go hand in hand where he's given them a lot of opportunities, a lot of chances to kind of do great. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the, the scouting department, which obviously he is a part of, um, you know, has fallen short, and I understand that. If you want to check out the stuff that Brad uh, posted yesterday, you got to follow him on Twitter, at PFF underscore Brad. There was one number that jumped out at me yesterday that I couldn't believe when I saw your uh, extended tweet on the moves that the general managers around the league have made, either up or down during an NFL draft. I, I have my general opinions about general managers and the way they handle their business. I have not done the research the way you did, so I thank you for doing those that research. The fact that Jerry Jones is not that big a mover and a shaker I understand when Jimmy was running the show way back when he was just that shoot. He was the guy who generated the draft value chart. But Jerry has been the guy in charge as owner slash general manager for a while. I just thought he was more of a wheeler dealer than he actually is. I guess he's a bigger talker. And that's why I thought he was a bigger wheeler dealer. But your numbers say the Cowboys do not move around all that much. They usually sit and take the guy that comes to them in their spot, huh? Yeah, I, and I agree with you. I, I was a little bit caught off guard by that running through the numbers. Um, yeah, I thought they would be more movers and shakers, but they do tend to just stand pat. Um, I will say though, they they, they draft very well. Um, you know, they they, um, they do a good job in the draft. So uh, maybe they're just confident that you know where they are that they're going to land a guy they like. Um, but yes, I, I agree with you there. And also, I think even more surprising, I don't know if people realize. They don't really spend that much money either. Um, they spend some of the least in the entire league on outside free agents, um, you know, so non-Cowboys players. And then they do pay their guys, um, you know, if, if they earn it. But, but yeah, they, they really are. He, he is kind of, he, he, you know, a lot of bark and, and I guess less bite uh, in some regards. Yeah, I think, I think where Jerry, um, I think where that perception comes from, he tends to get bigger names at the end of their careers. I think he likes that type of player. He tried to get Everson Griffin last year. It didn't work out. Like, you know, at the end, a really good, really productive player. 
Uh, they signed him to one year. You know, Alden Smith is coming back. You know, big names. Always loves the big names, but that's just, you know, I wanted to talk to you, Brad, about uh, GMs as a whole. We talked, I agree with you, how he gets tremendous value. What are the other GMs that you found kind of really understand the board and, and do a good job getting value, whether they're going up or get it going down? Yeah, so, um, you know, no surprise here, but obviously the Patriots and Bill Belichick, they have also had a bit of a string of poor drafting the last four or five years. Um, granted, they're picking 30th, you know, pretty much every year in those drafts. Um, you know, they lost the first, uh, obviously, for Spygate, stuff like that. But um, they, they do generate really good value in moving down. Um, and, and a thing that the Patriots, uh, the Vikings and the Seahawks and the Eagles um, do very well that we also really like is acquiring future draft capital. So this... Uh, again, goes back to the charts as well, um, and, and I have this on record from, from several clubs again, is that a future pick is essentially treated as, if you're getting a future first, you value it in the trade chart as a mid-second rounder, and if you're getting a future second, as a mid-third, and so on and so forth. So basically, you know, pick 48, 49 for a first, 80, 81 for a second, and, and so on and so forth. So while I understand that, you know, putting a time value on a draft pick, it can make sense. You can argue it makes sense. Um, I argue it doesn't at all uh, because, you know, you're always going to need draft picks. You're always going to need to add talent to your roster. Um, you know, frankly, what why teams do it is because some GMs, you know, the average GM probably lasts, you know, four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think smart GMs, you know, like a Belichick, like a Rick Spielman in, in Minnesota, John Schneider in Seattle, uh, and again, obviously how he's been there forever, um, different titles, but been there a long time. They recognize that, look, like there's no reason to treat these picks as though there's a time value. Um, if a team's going to intentionally dock you know, a, a future pick by a round, we'll take that all day long. Um, and I think those teams do a very good job in that regard. I think your point is very well taken because there are more than a handful of GMs every year who believe, if I don't get the team better this upcoming year, I'm not going to be around to take that extra draft pick yeah. in the future that's going to be mine. The guys who, and Harry Roseman's one of them, <laughs> who feel very confident in their position that they're going to be here for future drafts uh, can take the non-reduction when analyzing what uh, the value is for future draft picks. And let me add this to the mix, see if you feel the same. I think that future draft picks are now in this particular draft that go forward to next year devalued even less because number one the cap is going to come back up how much we don't know for sure yet but it, it it's not going to have the massive reduction that it did this past year it'll either be flat or slightly increased at some point it'll take a major jump up when gates are open and they're packed houses and the like and that new tv money kicks in so uh, you're going to be uh, that's going to make everything more valuable and number two we're not going to have any holdouts this year. There are a bunch of players that are in this draft, some of which are going to go very high, who did not play in 2020. And you have to project what they're going to be able to do on the next level. Teams are going to feel more comfortable in the draft just overall next year if there <laughs> is football across the board. All teams, all games, all year, that much more tape that you can look at. I, I got to believe it gives you a level of comfort to know I've got to pick in a year where I can really sink my teeth into draft evaluations, tapes on players. I, I don't think you need to take a reduction at all on future draft picks because of that. I agree 100%. Um, and also, not even just game tape, but also no combine. 
Um, and I know folks get caught up in the you know the testing numbers, but honestly, the combine is more about interviewing these players in person, getting them on the whiteboard to test their knowledge of football. Um, you know, and, and medical you know evaluations is frankly what the teams actually care about at the combine. Um, you know, the, uh, of course, you know the testing matters a little bit, but um, you know, so so that as well did not happen this year. Um, so I agree. No, I, I think teams are more, more confident in, in next year and the year after and, and, and on and on. I mean, also, I saw yesterday a couple places say, you know, teams are telling uh, media this is the worst draft class they've seen in, in a long yeah. time um, at certain positions, but also just overall. They said it's one of the less, least, least deep uh, draft classes in, in their careers, some said ever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that um, maybe they shouldn't have as much of a, you know, a devaluation. Um, but I still think end of the day that, you know, these smart GMs are going to, you know, kind of be able to get it regardless. Cause like you said, ultimately all it takes is that desperate GM, um, you know, that, that, that thinks his job is on the line or his job is on the line. Um, you know, and and they'll do whatever it takes. All right. Last one from me, Brad, and you can read Brad at, uh, pro football focus, uh, follow him on Twitter. You see his Twitter handle right there at PFF underscore Brad. Um, you're in one of those cities, as you mentioned, Chicago, Ryan Pace. A lot of people think he is GMing for his job. Um, Matt Nagy as well. Have, have you, it's tough because you don't really know the guys who really are on the last leg. Have you kind of noticed differences in behavior when guys are um, on the hot seat, so to speak? You do. It's a good question. You do. You can't always know for sure, but um, an example I've said a lot last year, and obviously, you know, a bit, you know, hindsight where it proved to be true, but I felt like Thomas Dimitrov of the Falcons was not behaving as rationally and as normally as he had before. Um, trading a second round pick for tight end Hayden Hurst. Um, just didn't seem like good value, didn't make a ton of sense. Um, and, and a couple other moves, you know, they signed Dante Fowler to a deal that I don't think, you know, other teams are probably going to offer him. Um, he did have a good year in LA, but, you know, up to that point, in his career had not been great. Um, coming off the edge, he was obviously terrible last year. He's already taken a pay cut since. Um, and, and it comes out, you know, mid season that basically Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, told him, look, you make the playoffs this year, or you're done. Um, you know, kind of gave him an ultimatum um, before the offseason began. So, I think you can tell. I actually, you know, speaking of Chicago, I, while Pace probably should be on a, a on the hottest, you know, a very very scorching seat, um, I frankly don't know that he that he is. Um, mm-hmm. I think he has the confidence um, and, and trust of ownership um, that he can maybe see this through. Um, but I still think he's going to be. Hey, you know, I still think it would be. You know, them them trading up for a quarterback would not surprise me in, in the slightest. Um, and that tends to buy you time. So maybe, you know, it cools down the seat a bit because they say, okay, well, now we have to let this guy, you know, see this prospect work out, stuff like that. Um, off the top of my I guess I think a lot, I think there was a lot of turnover this offseason. So I don't know many other like obvious hot seats at this point because there were a lot, there are a lot of new GMs in the league this year. Brad, you're a perfect guy. Last one for me uh, to get a perspective on something that John and I discussed earlier in the week. A- ongoing issue in the National Football League is training camps or camps before training camps open up voluntary working and the NFLPA came out and influenced enough teams for guys to take votes and say, we're not going to do voluntary workout, virtual only voluntary workouts. And to their credit, a bunch of players haven't shown up, but there are some teams that said we won't be showing up. And then they did show up (laughs) some of those because they've got workout bonuses clauses in their contracts and Guys just don't want to give up money. 
the teams responded by saying, oh, by the way, if you've got a workout clause, we expect you to work out. Otherwise, we're not going to be obligated to pay you. John noted the other day that the league, the, the union will attempt to get the players when negotiating through their agents for future contracts to have less emphasis on workout bonus. So they can continue to fight this fight to not work out during voluntary time periods. Flip-flop that. Will teams work that much harder now to put workout contra- workout uh, clauses into contracts just to pressure players to come in for quote-unquote voluntary workouts? How much is this going to be a push-pull thing between management and the players and their agents? Yeah, I think you're spot on there, yes. So I think, yes, I'm sure agents will try, um, and I'm sure teams will even stronger push to have those in there. Uh, I think an even bigger one is, and not every team does this, but a couple teams do, the Cowboys do it a lot, is actually salary de-escalators if you don't come in and work out. So you don't even earn a bonus for being there. You avoid having your salary drop by sometimes like half a million dollars um, by not showing up. I think more teams will definitely emphasize putting those in there. Um, and, and and frankly, I think the big thing, too, is that, um, you know, and it, it applies this offseason, but also going forward, is that all you really need to do is put that in there for five to ten of your best players. Um, you know, if you're on the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers shows up for, for training camp, your ass better be there. Otherwise, you know, you, you don't look good and, and your, your spot on the roster is at risk. Um, you know, so I think that's part of it, too, is that you don't even need everybody to have it. You need a couple leaders on both sides of the ball. Um, a couple of your high earners there, and if they're showing up, then you don't have no excuse, and, and your agent's going to tell you, you you should go because your job is not guaranteed. Um, so it, it's it's an impossible position. I, I feel for the union. It's a, it's a tough union to negotiate for and bargain for because there's just so much push and pull between themselves and that um, everyone's interests are different. Um, but fringe roster guys can't not be there, and their agents are going to yeah. tell them that. Um so like you said, all these teams come out with these statements, and we've already seen a couple of reports that basically a lot of guys are still showing up because they don't have a choice. Yeah, Un- Understood. Brad, great stuff. I lied. I got one more question. Real in-depth one. Where are you watching the draft? It's a great question. Um, I'll, probably watch them with- <laughs> I'll probably watch them with friends in New York City. I, I live in New York now, um, huh? but I'm always working it, and-, and I'll have you know I'll be putting out analysis and trade analysis and stuff like that, um, which you-, you can, of course, follow me uh, at PFF underscore Brad for-, for all that stuff. He's a great follower on Twitter. You should do just that. We appreciate him hopping on live with us here today on Birds 365. Enjoy the draft, Brad. You too. Our pleasure. That is Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus here with us on Birds 365. All right, Jay Mack and I will come back. He's got to do more work after he gets off the air here. I might take a nap. Um, I might just record uh, a Howie Roseman gathering. Yeah. And I'll be able to pick uh, McMullen's brain thereafter uh, and see if anything uh, went surprisingly different. Uh, John and I will talk about that. The Eagles media availability today leading up to the draft uh, more than a week away. We'll come back, talk about that next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The, the, the middle. The middle. Did you hear that sound? Yeah, that that iron shot. If you want to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like. There are very few sounds of purity. That's as pure as it gets. Oh, I've never heard it before. 
Yeah. <laughs> Look, you and me both, brother. Never heard it before. Never. <laughs> you and me both at that point. Jeez. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. J Mac and J Mac, McMullen and McDonald here with Jan Birds, three sixty five Hump Day edition, uh, a Wednesday to hang with us. Thanks for doing so. Thanks to those of you who are hopping on the stream. Oh, by the way, if you're watching us via your YouTube channel, if you use the LinkedIn on phillyvoice.com, however you're getting us live this morning, we appreciate it, and we ask you to share. We're trying to get as many people indoctrinated into the Birds 365 community. So if you are a YouTuber and you can do us a solid, share the show with your friends. You know who your Eagle fan friends are. They may or may not be hip to the show yet. If you can, do the share thing. We'll see if we can get this bigger and get even more interesting people on the stream. Oh, I see one here. F blank blank K Howie. Shocking. Can't believe that someone would stream that here on Birds 365. Your point about... Howie Roseman takes it in the shorts everywhere he goes these days. (laughs) From Eagles fans, you are altogether too accurate. Uh, He will not be facing Eagle fans today. He'll be facing Eagle media in uh, the availability that the birds are giving uh, to the media for uh, draft lead up. You've been doing this since Howie got his chair back as the general manager after the Chip Kelly debacle. Um, has anything changed over the years? I know it's only a couple of years, but it includes the buildup to a Super Bowl team and now the downfall thereafter. Has anything changed? Do you expect anything to change today uh, with whatever information you're going to get before the Eagles get on the draft board? 
No, of course not, Jody. I, I, I mean, how he's a veteran general manager, as Brad pointed out, uh, he knows how to do the job. He knows how to deploy questions, how to do that. You know, one thing you mentioned, the F Powie, you know, people want us to go on Zoom and say, Howie, why do you stink? Um, you know, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a certain professional decorum that you have sure. to use or you won't be allowed at the next press conference. So that's part of it. But look, you do your best. You try to get as much information as possible. When it comes to the disconnect in the front office, look, how he's going to address that and, and uh, avoid it and, and basically say everything's fine, we work well, we collaborate, yada, 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 but the question has to be asked. And then you try to get as much information as you can about the draft class. And the, the way to do that is with generalities because they're not going to say, we love Devontae Smith. Right. We, we love so-and-so we're trying to get him at number 12 if we can't get him at number 12 we're going to trade up to number nine to try and get him you're not going to get stuff like that i mean come on it's uh uh, funny the way people will describe certain things uh this is a week out from the draft you call it the silly season save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I call it the time of misinformation. Uh, fake news has become a huge term in this country, usually fake about news. something other than uh, draft information, but it does fit the, with the description as well. Uh, having done this the last couple of years for the birds, major misinformation group, uh, super silly season, or do they just use it as they see fit in a given year when Howie may or may not be active? in moving and shaking. What's his track record as far as how he uh, gives out information that may be the exact opposite of what the Eagles are thinking going into a draft? Well, I think the fact that Howie wants to check employees' phones tells you all you need to know. Uh, He doesn't want any information getting out that he doesn't deliver himself to certain national reporters who you can probably figure out on your own. He wants that to be the only thing leaving the Novacare complex. So that's basically how he does business. That's how he believes in doing business. And he seems to get even more closed as the heat kind of, kind of rages around him. And by the way, I don't know if that's real heat. I'm talking about um, heat of, again, at the Phillies game, again, on the stream, Ab Powie, the tinted windows. He's not popular. He knows that. He's very well aware of that. That's part of his job description, by the way, to take heat for Jeffrey Lurie. Okay. Um, so he's he's even enclosing things a little bit more, and he doesn't want anything getting out that isn't specifically laid out by the Eagles, and that's our job to try to talk to agents and players and, and and such and get 
you know, more of the real information, so to speak. You mentioned just a couple of minutes ago that there's got to be decorum here. You can't um, come out and you specifically say, Howie, why do you stink as badly as you do? That will get your invite to the next press gathering revoked. You're not about to do that. But could you go around the back door? Uh, Good point uh, brought to us on the stream by uh, Sean E., he asked, would anyone bring up and or mention how he did you hear the fire, how he trans uh, chance at the Philly game? So you're actually attributing it to a third party, but you're trying to get his reaction to it. You don't think anybody would actually do that today. Uh, do you? No, somebody might do that. Um, okay. Uh, depending on where you are, like if, if you're leading off, uh, so to speak, if you're hitting number one of the order, order, it's probably not a good way to go. But if you're later in the press conference, everything has been hit. Uh, relevance, you could say, Howie, you're not the most popular guy in the world right now. How is that affecting you? You could do it like that. Um a lot of ways. He'll get asked about uh, being on the hot seat and something of that nature. You just have to phrase it in a, in a more right. professional way. Uh, understood. Uh, having done this again, you have for a while now. <clears throat> and I'm guessing the Eagles try and vary the order of the guys. It's a lot of you guys doing the same thing week in, week out, different times, different places. Um do you prefer being one of the early questioners? Because then you know you're at least going to be able to ask your question. Sometimes if you go late, somebody could ask your question, yeah. but not exactly the way you want to ask it. So then you either have to repeat a question with a little slant <laughs> to it, or you have to just accept the answer it was <clears throat> given. Do you like going early if they call your name early? Or do you want to be one of the guys who get the hit late? You, you, you got to have about 10 in the holster because you don't know uh, where you're going to go on these things. So number one, you don't want to lead off. Uh, at least I don't, I I've let off quite a few times. The problem with lead off is you have to ask a certain question. Like after the last time we talked to Howie Roseman, I was the lead off guy. So I had to ask about Carson Wentz. I thought there was more, interesting things by that point we had rehashed Carson Wentz but you got to get Howie Roseman on the record he said it was like you know losing a finger uh we didn't want to lose him this was the first time he's talking I had to ask about Carson Wentz I would have preferred to ask about other things so I think the perfect situation is to be you know third or fourth hitting third batting cleanup that's that's the perfect place you want to be to get probably your question um, and if you're at the back end, um, look, there's always something. There's so much. We're not going to have enough time. So every right. you just you just got to find what people haven't gotten to. So if you're in the leadoff spot today, what's the leadoff question for Howie Roseman? Eight days out before the draft, all the moves that the Eagles have made. What would you say is the first question? You're right. It's probably the thing that you care most about, but. There is a little bit of a decorum to this, and that might factor into your thinking as to how you're going to formulate your question or what your question is. What is the leadoff question today for Howie? Hey, who are you taking at 12, Howie? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, well, I think the leadoff question today, from my standpoint, would have to be about the relationships in the front office, about the collaboration. Does he think it's working to a high level? Something 
something to that degree. Um, but because of the athletic story, uh, because this is the first time he'll be talking since that story came out, I think you have to ask him something about the communication uh, between the collaborative style of the front office and how that's working or how that's not working. And obviously he's going to say everything's peachy. So that's why I say it's not the question I want to ask, but I think it's the question that has to go first. And that's not necessarily everyone will have that same take because somebody else will probably go first and somebody else will probably ask a different question. But that's, uh, we'll have to be tuned in to find out exactly that. Um, I asked you, is there any chance Nick Sirianni will be part of today's proceeding? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Now, um, problem yeah. is, Nick's going to be a ficus plant, as our buddy Mike Sealski wrote when Doug Peterson had to do it back in the day. I mean, he's got nothing to do with this. So, Or does he? Is there a chance that uh, we're wiping the slate clean and a new coach... Maybe they thought that Doug should have been a ficus plant. Hey, Doug, we let you call the plays on Sunday, but that's about it. We don't really trust in evaluation of players yeah, and the like. Um, do they actually have more faith in a Nick Sirianni to get his opinion about players that aren't yet Eagles that the Eagles should be looking to potentially add? You, you can never say never. I mean, I'm not in that building, Jody, but I would find it very hard to believe that this organization, above all else, who craves that power, craves that autonomy, has a first-year head coach and goes, hey, Nick, let's pick who you want. I just – I don't see that happening. So, you know, maybe Nick will get asked questions because people will feel bad for him. Maybe he'll get asked about the virtual meetings, uh, starting right. them, asked about the roster, what he thinks about where the roster is, that kind of stuff. But this is technically a pre-draft availability. So you take advantage of whatever you can when you get the head coach in the offseason. But, I mean, Andy Weidel's going to be there. This is, you know, the only time of the year we get to talk to Andy Weidel. So, you know, the fact that you don't have a lot of opportunities to talk to certain people dictates that you have to ask them questions when you get them, whereas – when we do get to the regular season, we're going to get to talk to Nick Sirianni multiple times a week. So you have to take advantage of these situations with Howie and Andy Weidel. Let me ask you about Andy Weidel, who is uh, Howie's supposed number one chief scout head of the scouting department. As you mentioned, don't get a chance to talk to him all that often. It's not like you can call him up on any given week. Hey, how's the scouting going? Uh, they just don't make him available, but will be available today. Having had the chance to ask him questions in previous draft prep uh, media sessions like today's, what kind of a guy is Weidel? What kind of a uh, sharer of information? Straight shooter, guarded, uh, tremendously uh, available and wide open and gives you stuff you didn't expect to get. Uh, what is Andy Weidel like in these type of situations? No, he's a, he's a straight shooter. I mean, he learned under Joe Douglas. He's a lot like Joe Douglas. You know, behind the scenes, he's willing to talk to you. Um, he'll give his uh, uh, opinions, you know, when we were at the complex a little bit more. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, he's not going to say, who are you going to draft at, at number 12? He's not going to say, oh, we love 
uh, Devontae Smith. We love Quiddy Pay. We love the offensive line class. But if you do ask him in generalities, he'll tell you. He'll probably tell you, you know, the wide receiver class is really deep. He'll, he'll tell you the, the defensive tackle class is, is probably not very good at all. Um, so he'll give you that type of information. But, uh, yeah, I mean, nobody's going to talk about specific players. So if, if, you know, you can throw it out there, how good is Jamar Chase? Uh, you know, and they're going to say he's great, but you're not going to get any relevant information. We're uh, talking about the guys that will be available at today's pre-draft uh, media session, how he is the big name. Andy Weidel is one you don't get enough chance to talk to. And uh, hopefully a non-ficus plant head coach. Uh, I do. Have <laughs> By the a... way, that's not a shot at Nick Sirianni. It's just you know this is not it. Everyone calls it a Howie season for a reason. This is Howie season. This is when he assembles the roster and then gives it to Nick Sirianni. And when, um, really in the old days, OTAs start on-field OTAs. We'll see how that works out. And it was good that you got that question in the Brad, Jody. Um, when the guys get on the field, it becomes Nick Sirianni's team. And then he takes the lead as far as being the face. But right now, at this point of the season, Howie is the lead guy. It's Howie season. All right, so let's go there. Um, this is a phrase that I would say has been developed in all sports. Uh, National Football League is heavy as any other over the last 10 years. I don't remember people using this phrase 20 years ago. Uh, maybe my timeline is off, but that's my take on it. The change of culture. The word culture somehow got <laughs> integrated into the world of sports. I never thought of sports as cultured, but that is now something that is said all the time. When you change coaches, when you change a significant part of your organization, you change the culture of your organization. Uh, we've only had a couple of sessions with the new head coach, Nick Sirianni, but we assume he's going to change the culture of the Eagles. What do you think the new culture is going to look like? If you can even uh, gesture an opinion on that, because it's surely something that will be determined over a period of time, but you want to know about it and or at least take a guess shot at it uh, when a guy's been on the job now for a good couple of months. You got a feeling on the new culture of the Eagles? Well, the, co the culture is you got to love ball, Jody. You got to love ball. You got to love talking ball. No, you know, guys like I, I get a kick out of, uh, you know, when you talk about the Eagles Super Bowl team, you know, the leaders of that team, guys like, Malcolm Jenkins and Chris Long and Torrey Smith, everybody talked about these veteran players, how good they were in the locker room. They've all said to a man, you know, you talk about culture, culture's got to do with winning. Winning, you know, everybody's happy, everybody's getting along. You lose and the backbiting starts. I think it really comes down. I think it's overblown. Look, you definitely want strong leaders on your team. But I, you know, people say, well, Chris left and Malcolm left and, and Tory left and so on and so forth. I, I think the Eagles have plenty of leaders. And if they start winning games, everything will be fine. If they're four, a four win team again in a 17 game season, so we're talking four and 13 probably, well, that's ugly. And the culture's not going to look good. And, the loving, the energy, and loving the ball with Nick Sirianni. That's 
that's not going to mean much. Fair enough. Uh, actually, surprised that you said what you did. Taking the quarterback out of it, because, yes, the quarterback, by the nature of his position, is going to have an effect on the culture of the team. That's a given, and that's still very much to be determined with Jalen Hurts. But if you take him out of the mix, who are the players that you think are the leaders of the Eagles? You said they have several, uh, not counting quarterback. Who would you put at the top of that list? Well, you always start with quarterback, and Jalen Hurts is a natural leader. I think people gravitate him. I think that's his strength as a prospect, to be honest. But you talk about guys like Jason Kelsey in the offensive line room, Lane Johnson as well, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. I mean, these guys, even Rodney McLeod, um, these guys are leaders on and off the field, and they have been for a long time. I, I, don't, I don't think that's an issue um, with the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't think it's ever been an issue. Um, and, you know, I think guys who have been leaders and, and people, players who people look at as leaders like Malcolm, especially has basically said, yeah, I mean, you know, Malcolm loves Rodney McLeod and, and will tell you what he can do for this organization. So there's no dearth of guys who can, who can lead rooms, lead this team from an offensive and defensive perspective. Uh, as far as people buying in, again, yeah, it's simple, but that has to do with winning and losing games. That's good to hear. Glad to know you feel that way, Johnny Mac. All right, uh, we'll get that feeling and many other from our next guest, Michael K, NJ.com, Eagle Beat reporter, is going to join us. We still got plenty of time to chat it up, Birds fans, right here on Birds 365. Stick around. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The, 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 middle. the middle. Did you hear that sound? Yeah, that, that iron shot. If you want to talk about a solid golf shot, that's what it sounds like. There are very yeah. few sounds of purity. That's oh. as pure as it gets. Oh, I've never heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you and me both, brother. Never heard it before. Never. <laughs> you and me both at that point. Jeez. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave. Take a nap. Go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. 
Learn more at IBEW98.org. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Is a Wednesday edition of Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media Channel. And thank you for those who jumped in via phillyvoice.com. McMullen and McDonald hanging with you. We've got someone to hang with us for the next 10 or 15 minutes. He's going to be busy, like my partner Johnny Mack, uh, dealing with the Eagles draft, pre-draft availability of their general manager, their lead scout. Uh, he covers the Birds day in and day out for NJ.com. Mike K joins us here on Birds 365. Uh, Mike, thanks for doing a little work with us before you got to do some work uh, with the Eagles this afternoon. Well, I, I appreciate you guys having me. What's going on, J&J? Hey, Mike. Thrilled to have you. Uh, little pit, uh, peaceful transition of, of power, Mike K., uh, the vice president of the Pro Football Writers Association, took over for me, Jody. So uh, peaceful transition of power between Mike and I. I do it. You know, Jody asked me the question. If you're leading off today at 1120, Mike, uh, what are you asking? Uh, Howie Roseman, uh, Andy Weidel, or Nick Sirianni? Howie, you have 11 draft picks, but there's a lot of concern that you're not going to be able to nail any of them. Uh, what, <laughs> there we what, go. What, what do you say to that concern? And how have you changed your philosophy and working over the last two years with Andy Weidel now set up in 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 the job for two years? Yeah, it's That's- a good question. I mean, I think you know part of the athletic stuff and the disconnect in the front office, and obviously, you know, a lot of the fans want us to go in there and say, "Hey, Howie, why do you stink?" And we've seen that uh, pretty consistently. But uh, Jody asked also, you know, should Nick Sirianni be here? Uh, You know, Doug Peterson got in a lot of heat uh, for his first couple draft press conferences. I think it was before you got back where, you know, he was off to the side. He's not involved much. We're asking questions at the time. It was Joe Douglas, but we don't get Howie and Joe enough. And now it's Howie and Andy. So, you know, it looked pretty bad. Why do the Eagles keep going down this road? As far as having him available for this press conference? Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I don't get it. I really kind of don't understand that at all. I mean, yeah. I, I think the issue is this is going to be, we know Philly, right? We've been around for a while. This is going to be a lot of Howie questions, yeah. a lot of Sirianni questions, and maybe like a dessert of Andy Weidel questions, right? Um, yeah, I mean, look, this is going to be more like a press conference. You and I are used to sitting in a room with, with Joe and, and Howie and just, you know, going back and forth. This is going to be strange. So it's not like you can really gain anything that's not going to just be spewed out there. And I think that's more of the mistake than having Nick Sirianni in here. I mean, I think, you know, when we're trying to relationship build, that's part of our jobs as journalists. It's kind of hard to have those conversations and get those real answers when there's 
a camera in front of their yeah. face. They know that the entire fan base is hanging on every word. So I think if you're going to, you know, dissect the way they're handling this, yeah, I think I, I think that's the mistake, not that Sirianni's there. Um, I'd like his perspective on free agency if we ever get to that, you know, yeah. because we're going to be asking so many other questions. Yeah. Mike, along those lines, um, John kind of touched on it. Uh, I don't know that it can be avoided. Uh, you almost put it into your leadoff question. The big article last week about uh, dysfunction with the Eagles via the three athletic guys, uh, it, it did reverberate throughout Eagle Nation and here in Philadelphia. Is anyone going to put that to the coach and say, no, you just got here, but... Uh, I don't know if you've read the article on The Athletic about the dysfunction with the new organization before you got here, but now that you're here, how are you going to deal? Is there any chance that anybody goes down that road with Nick Sirianni and asks him, because uh, you know how he's going to deny, 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 roll his eyes when you bring up The Athletic article, uh, but Nick Sirianni is kind of on the outside looking in and could have a different type of perspective. Anybody going to, in any creative way, try and get that question to Nick Sirianni? If I had to guess, and I think John knows exactly who I'm talking about, <laughs> I do think there will be one person who asks. And he won't do it very strategically. It will be no. very... It will be... It will be very abrupt, yes. It will be very abrupt. Look, I think that's his purpose in, in the press conference. I think we all have a role to play in that bouncing ball that is a press conference. And... I mean, I think it's a very fair question. If he hasn't read it, he's almost definitely aware of it. I mean, I don't know if he's had time to read like a 3,000 word article, you know, with all the stuff that they're doing, but he's definitely aware of, you know, the, the clipping. He, he has to be. Um, and I think, look, when you read that stuff, some of it holds weight, some of it doesn't, because right, you're in, you're in that room. You've already had three, two or three months with these people. You know how they work. You've seen this trade back from 6 to 12. If you're Nick Sirianni and you want Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase, too bad. Boom. Uh, if you wanted a choice of quarterback and Jalen Hurts wasn't it, you've seen how that's gone. Boom. They traded back. So I think he has an understanding of how this business is run and what's going on. And obviously, we're not in the season yet, but like, everything's on the surface. They just fired their head coach three years after winning a Super Bowl. Like, if that doesn't tell you, hey, there's 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 some inner conflict here, and it might not just be that Doug Peterson uh, had an outlier season and won a Super Bowl, like, then you're not doing your research well. And part of, you know, stepping into a new job, like when you, anybody gets a new job, you have to research the company. And I'm sure he got plenty of feedback. All right, we're talking with Mike K and JOnline.com. Does a great job covering this team, so make sure you check them out. Uh, check them out. That's enough of the inside baseball, Mike. Let's talk about the actual draft. Let's talk about number 12 overall, because I know you've been doing a lot of work about this move down from 6 to 12, but also the potential of moving back up. We just had Brad Spielberger on from Pro Football Focus, the numbers guy who looked at the history of Howie Roseman, he's one of those guys who likes to move around the board, likes to create value. Just because he went down doesn't mean he can't go back up. What do you think the end game is here? Does he want it? 
go bound go down to get the value positions of offensive and defensive line that his organization believes in, or is he willing to break the trend, go up and get a receiver that everybody wants? Here's what I said. They traded back knowing that the Dolphins were significantly overpaying. So they have that 2022 first-round pick. They're going to have at least two first-round picks next year. Objectively a brilliant move. Objectively. Even passing on Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase, to get that value is brilliant, especially when you consider the 12 best players in this draft. From there, I think you make that trade back knowing that you're probably going to land a defensive player because the bulk of the top 10 – is going to push the best defensive players down the board. Now, does that mean that 10 is is not going to be a defensive player by the Cowboys? No, it probably will be. But if you're getting the second-best corner and you've traded back at 6-5, you're at 12, it's that second-best cornerback in the future first-round pick, right? You're combining that value. Now, Howie Roseman's known if he wants a guy, really, really wants a guy, he'll trade up for him. Uh, he's done that several times. I think they really want a corner. Um, I, I really do. That's my sense. I also think if there was an, uh, an elite pass rushing prospect, they wouldn't have trade back, traded back. That would have gone completely against what they wanted to do. But there isn't that guy. So you look at Patrick Sertan, and, you know, the Cowboys seem like the, the perfect destination for him. You know, why not pay, ba- pay them back from, for uh, C.D. Lamb and jump, you know, them for a third-round pick? which is probably what it's going to cost, like a late third-round pick, so 84. They'll still have 70. They'll still be good. They'll still have 10 draft picks. But then you land a top defensive player on your board and you get Patrick Sertan. Now, let's say that Kyle Pitts falls because Atlanta takes somebody – takes the quarterback at four and the Dolphins do indeed want Jalen Waddle. So that pushes Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts down, down, down the pike, I guess you could say why not jump up and get them? Because then you still get that first round pick because the Dolphins overpaid. So you're in a spot where you get to watch the board develop and you can jump at any point when you want to. If you are afraid that the Cowboys are going to take a cornerback before the Eagles, you've got right to, I just saw this, Rashad Robinson, the guy who they elevated from their practice <laughs> squad to cornerback, who actually started a couple of games for them last year. Uh, was suspended for the first two games of this upcoming season because of uh, a positive performance enhancing uh, drug tests. So uh, and the Cowboys need upgrade and talent at the cornerback position now, maybe even more so. Don't know that that will be the deciding factor. They're either going to take a quarterback or they're not, but that just adds to their need a little bit. I, I'm with you. I hope you're right because John and I have been going back and forth between inside and outside players. I've said it's got to be an outside player, either a corner or a wide receiver. John is stuck uh, is to his guns on history says if the Eagles are in the top half of the first round, they go inside in the trenches, either defensive line or offensive line. I, I, I understand John's philosophy, but is there anyone that merits that pick? If you believe that Slater is gone in the first 11 picks, which he may or may not be, you're looking at either the third offensive lineman and I don't think there's any defensive lineman that actually just on pure value, forget about tradition, forget about rosters, just putting them in the order of the talent of the draft. I don't think there's any D lineman that deserves to be in the top 12. Are they going inside or outside, Michael? I agree completely with your point. I, I, I think I think they'd like to go inside. So I, I think you're both right. I think they would like to go inside. Trust me, I, I think it's, 
if Rashawn Slater had two inch longer arms, I think he's the pick, right? But I don't see them spending a, a top 12 pick on a guard. I don't see them going uh, Ali Vera Tucker. I don't see them going Rashawn Slater at 12. Now, let's say they trade back. Let's say the, the Patriots uh, want a QB and Mac, Mac Jones falls to 12. Cool. Pick up a third round pick. Maybe then you're looking at, at Vera Tucker and you say, look, for six, we, we traded up from the fifth to the fourth round. We got a 2022 first round pick. We got an extra third round pick this year. And we got Vera Tucker, who's the top guard on our board, you know, whatever. That's a lot of value for number six and for tanking in week 17. I mean, John and I were joking in the press box during that, during that game, pretty much the entire game. So like, I think, I think you have to look at it from like the value of what you're getting out of six. I think you have to combine all the trade value. Like if you're looking at a guy like Quiddy Pay, I think Quiddy Pay will be there at 15. Trade back. Um, because you don't want to get into a situation where you pass on JC Horn, you pass on Devonta Smith, you take Quiddy Pay at 12 and those two guys blow up. Like you, you can't worry about the fan base. You can't take the fan base's advice or whatever. But you know how big of a problem wide receiver and corner are. Like, corner to me, even if they took a corner in the first round, would still be one of their top three. That's how bad this cornerback group is. This is the worst cornerback group in the league, even with a true number one in Darius' play, in my opinion. So you really need to upgrade what you're doing in the secondary. It's going to make everybody better. And, oh, by the way, you've got a new defensive coordinator who is a rising star. I mean, John knows from his his days in in Minnesota, this guy's brilliant. He's going to be here for two years. And then he'll eventually be a head coach. You want to stack this deck while you still have him, a good teacher around to develop. I mean, look, Jonathan Gannon's a superstar in this league. He is going to be a head coach eventually. He's basically the Sean McVay of defense. So, you know, you, you've got to plan, plan accordingly. All right, Mike, that's a good point because I, I agree with you with Jonathan Gannon. He is a superstar inside this league. So people think about him as a potential future head coach. Now, if you take the other side of that coin and you kind of look at, at Gannon's history, look, he picked up Xavier Rhodes off the scrap heap. He was awful in his last season in Minnesota, uh, and he turned it back into a, a solid player. Uh, TJ Carey is not a, a world beater. Uh, he turned him into a solid player. Uh, one of the reasons I think Doug is not here and his coaching staff is not here is the developmental aspect of, of his job. Um, Jonathan Gannon can develop corners. He's talking to Gil Brandt. You were on that conference call, call earlier in the week. Wasn't talking about the Eagles. He said, you can develop cornerbacks. You can't, if you need a guard midseason, Good luck finding one. The Eagles just went through that on the offensive line. Do they have more confidence in maybe developing a Mike Chiquette, developing a Kayvon Seymour? People don't even know who these guys are. Or even a later round draft pick with Jonathan Gannett, who, whose history and background is with cornerbacks. So I'll, I'll put it to your point with developmental. The one guy who can develop talent under Doug Peterson was, was the offensive line coach, Jeff Stoutland, yeah. right? At some point, you know, they drafted Jack Driscoll, who I think can play left guard, right guard, right tackle. You've got to feel good about that. I think Nate Herbig had his, you know, behind the scenes issues and 
in practice and, and, and getting consistent. Uh, and I think they like him still. Luke Riga is a guy they like a lot. They brought in Ross. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Pierce yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, look, you've got like 14 offensive linemen on the roster right now. Um, while I agree with you, look, addressing the trenches is the most important thing. But unless uh, Penny Sewell falls to, to 12, I just don't know if you really invest that pick in an offensive lineman. You look at uh, Barrymore from Alabama on the defensive line. He's very interesting, and I could see them having interest in him. But again, straight back, it doesn't hurt you. Quiddy, Barrymore and Quiddy Pay would be the two, to answer Jody's question earlier, those are the two defensive linemen that you kind of look at, and you're like, well, it kind of yeah. fits uh, Joe Banner, Howie Roseman, sort of, you know, what are you going to do? But, I mean – you're at this. You're not at this position very often. This offense was terrible last year, and their secondary was blown apart. You need to have some blue chip players, and to me, Sertain and and Horn are those guys in the secondary. I think Smith and Waddle make a lot of sense. The issue you get into is, do you think Waddle and Smith are too comparable to Jalen Rager's upside in his position? They really need a true X, and that's why I would go corner first and then try to trade back in and get somebody like Therese Marshall. Since you went to Barrymore, Michael, I got to go in this direction and basically <laughs> make the day of the producer extraordinaire of this show, uh, Xander, who is a roll tide guy. Uh, we were talking <laughs> before the show and he noted, cause I said, I'm really starting to believe that the Devonta Smith could fall all the way to 12. I just love the kid. I think he's, got a chance to be every bit as good as Jamar Chase. And I absolutely believe he's going to be better than his teammate, Jalen Waddle. And uh, Xander said to me, I'm okay with either of the Alabama wide receivers going to the Eagles, but I'll tell you what, not happening. Because since how he became GM, that many players have gone on to the NFL out of the Alabama program, and the Eagles have gotten zippity-doo-dah. They just don't seem to want or touch Alabama players. Well, you're suggesting a D lineman. Everybody's suggesting uh, Patrick Sertain at cornerback. I'm kind of hoping a wide receiver, either or, but I surely prefer Smith is the guy. But if we go with track record, John's favorite thing, check the history, the DNA of the organization. Well, the DNA says no Bama players. Why should we expect them to take a Bama player at number 12? They probably shouldn't. Uh, if I had to get gun, uh, water gun to my head, 12 is J.C. Horn to me. I, I think that's who it is. Um, if they stay at 12. Uh, like I said, we, we're looking at track records and looking at evidence, right? That's what we have to do. We're detectives right now. So they haven't gone Alabama in a billion years. They haven't drafted a, an off-the-ball linebacker since 1979 when Peaches and Herb uh, <laughs> was at the top of the chart. Okay? I wasn't even born yet. Uh, Jerry like, Robinson, by the way, 1979. Yeah, Jerry Robinson. Who, I, didn't he make a Pro Bowl? I yes. Pro very Bowl. good player. Very good yeah, player. Yeah, so, so, like, we can rule out linebacker. Um, offensive line, they've, been, they, they've reworked Braden Brooks' contract, so they clearly think he can be here for more than this season. Uh, Lane Johnson, you, you're probably feeling good about him for two years. Isaac Sayamalu is still young and, and has some upside. Yes, Jason Kelsey is going to potentially retire in the next year, but you're not drafting a center there. Uh, I just think it's a poor use of 
resources when you've seen what Jordan Maylotta can do and you just set, trade it up to draft Andre Dillard two years ago, whether he's a bust or not, you've got to see kind of how that plays out, in my opinion. Uh, and then on the defensive line, you've invested all this money in Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Brandon Graham, and now Derek Barnett. And so I think you've really got to look. They haven't touched cornerback in, in free agency. And if you're a fan, you're saying, well, this secondary was terrible even before free agency. They've now lost guys. Uh, the secondary is being reworked. Ding, 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 ding. It's corner. Um, and so to me, I think J.C. Horn makes a ton of sense. I think there's a ton of upside there. John, you talked about developing uh, corners. He still needs some development. He's mostly an upside guy. Uh, yeah. I think he's the perfect fit for Jonathan Gant. Well, let's talk about trend busting. But first of all, I would argue Jalen Hurts is an Alabama guy. I mean, you know, there's it's a different world in, in college where you have these grad transfers. But nonetheless, even even though, you know, you mentioned Mike, 1979, Jerry Robinson, everybody knows it. Uh, you want him to take quarterback. Jody wants him to take Devontae Smith. So that's trend busting for this organization. Why not linebacker? Jonathan Gannon was a Minnesota with Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks. He was in Indianapolis with Darius Leonard. These are big-time players at that position. Maybe the thinking changes. Maybe Nick Sirianni isn't a ficus plant. Maybe Jonathan Gannon, they look at him as a superstar. They ask the coaching staff, what do you want? Give me Devin White. You know, what did he do for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Michael Parsons, Penn State, everybody would love it. Oh, how he took a Penn State guy. Hmm. <laughs> so they've had mixed results with Penn State guys. Yeah. Right? Wow. So Miles Sanders, great pick. Sharif Miller, Miller maybe, not so much. Yeah. Maybe the worst fourth round pick in the last 10 years. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's a, a situation where, okay, he opted out. Um, do you feel comfortable with his character stuff? Do you feel comfortable with the fact that he hasn't played in a year and that he might need some time? Also, where are you going to put him? Are you going to put him at Sam? Are you going to put him at Will? Are you, are you going to move him to middle linebacker? What, how are you going to figure this out? Like, I think there's a lot of complicated questions with him. To me, the best fit for, for Gannon and that Viking setup is, I call him J-O-K because I put your well, name. I love him. Yeah. Jeremiah Usu Kamora. Yeah. Did I, Koromoa, excuse Koromoa. me. Uh, if there was a trade back into the first round option on defense, he'd be a guy I'd look at. I, I, I'm not a big Notre Dame defense guy. I, I, Neither I, am I, but this guy is unbelievable. And people talk about positionless players on the back end in modern football. That's this guy. If that's what you want, go get that guy. I agree with you. I'd be happy with him at 12, to be honest. He's a strong safety playing well linebacker, and that's exactly what you want in this type of defense. You want to attack. You want a guy who can blitz. You want a guy who can uh, make up ground quickly. Oh, and by the way, if they're playing a ton of zone, this dude can cover. This dude can really cover uh, underneath route. So I, 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 he's a guy who's really impressed me. We, we've seen the interview that went viral um, yeah. about his toughness and his mindset for Philly. I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense for them. I, would, I probably wouldn't take him at 12. No, neither would I, but I, I'm I'm saying I think it would work out. I think he turns into I mean, a great player, and two years from now, nobody will care. But I agree with you. There's no way they're taking him. 
People are going to compare him to Buck Barron, I think. But he's way more yeah. talented. Yeah. Mike, no, you've written about it, but I want you to share with us here on Birds 365 your opinion on the Eagles' offseason moves, not the draft. That would be free agency. And to use a card-playing <laughs> analogy, don't know if you're a card player or not, how he started the game as the short stack in free agency because the Eagles were behind the eight ball because of the Carson Wentz dead cap money. So he didn't have the available chips to be able to play in certain hands. I think he's won some hands and done okay and upgraded the talent seeing as he was short stacked comparing to the larger stacks. I'm giving him passing grades in free agency. How about yourself? Has he done enough? Is there still a bigger, better hand to be played here? What do you think about the Eagles and free agency so far this offseason? Well, I think it all revolves around the former Minnesota cast, right? I mean, it's Anthony Harris and it's Eric Wilson. They're both upgrades on over what they had last year at those positions. Um, I think if Anthony Harris plays well, he could probably get a two or three year extension um, and be that guy who eventually takes over for Rodney McLeod as, as the starting free safety. He's probably going to play strong safety this year. Um, and either way, he helps kind of ease in Jonathan Gannon because he understands his lingo and, and so on and so forth. I think Eric Wilson's big. I thought that that was a really good shot to take. He understands the defense. He's a guy who makes a lot of plays. I know he's not a very good run defender, but what this team lacked last year was turnovers. They had eight combined turnovers, and uh, Marcus Epps, who you've never heard of, led them with two interceptions. So I, I think that that's the key here. I think they really like Alex Singleton. I think they really um, like what they have in those two players. If they can get something out of TJ Edwards, terrific. They can get something out of the draft picks last year, whatever. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that that was the big signing. Um, Joe Flacco, a lot of people are making a big deal about the money, but like, realistically, it's not that big of a deal. It really is. I mean, next year, they're going to have a lot of money. This is a situation where you're at least pushing her without giving him the job, but you know, he's going to get the job. Uh, in a lot of ways, QB competitions are, you know, that scene in, in Wolf of Wall Street where Matthew McConaughey is like, it's like Pagazi, you know, like, that's what, yeah, yeah Pagazi. it's QB, QB competitions aren't necessarily always real. And this is one that isn't real. If Jalen Hurts and Joe Flacco are the top two guys in the depth chart, that's the way it's going to stay. And so... I think it's fine, whatever. I mean, I don't really think that young quarterbacks, especially with the temperament that Jalen Hurts has, need mentor type uh, of that ilk, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Anthony uh, or uh, Adams, the, the Andrew Adams, player. yeah. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew Adams. Andrew isn't a, isn't a lock to make the team, uh, but he can really help on special teams. They lost Rudy Ford, who if you – Really paid attention to the special teams last year. He was good, game. man. He was the never out one. there, but when he was out there, he was he was he was the best. Uh, he was the best gunner in football. Well, Dave Fifth wouldn't let Cam uh, Johnson punt over forty-five yards once when Rudy Ford wasn't in there. Yeah, sounds ridiculous and self-sabotaging, but that's where it was. Yeah. Um, and then look, I think Jordan Howard's a shot in the dark. If he plays well, he plays well. He not guaranteed to make the team. It's a who cares move. They're fine. I'd give them a B. Well, I'm going to piggyback off that because you're, you're going corner in the first round of the draft for a good reason. 
And one of the reasons why they haven't addressed it in free agency. And, you know, I thought maybe TJ Carey would be a fit. We mentioned with Jonathan Gannon, he just re-signed with the Colts. Um, Steven Nelson, uh, I think, is still out there. Gary and Conley, maybe. Why, you know, they brought in Jordan Howard. You never want to go into the draft and say, we need this position. And they need cornerback. That part, I agree with it. I mean, they need a cornerback. Why haven't they gone the one-year cost-effective route with just a body at cornerback? Why put yourself in that position? Well, I think if Stephen Nelson's smart, he waits to after the draft because then he has more leverage and he can see what the competition's like at corner for other teams. But as far as Gary Connolly, I'm not sure. I would have made that signing as an upside signing. The thing is, maybe the Eagles know that, you know, one signing isn't enough. And so they're going to kind of go through the motion, see what they can do. And Stephen Nelson will be there on day two of the draft if he's still a free agent. And you can sign him once you've drafted Devonta Smith and made Jody very happy. So, like, that's, <laughs> that's basically what you can do, right? See, technically, you have the option. I mean, maybe they have something worked out to where, look, we're going to take care of us. But if, if we don't get the guy we want in round one, we're coming back to you. So it's a leverage game. I think for Steven Nelson, I think he wants legitimate money. I don't blame him. I think he's the best player on the market right now. And, you know, the Eagles have to be patient because they're forced to. That's what the cap situation has forced them to do. So they're changing up their, their outlook there. And, and look, I, I think you don't go into the draft forcing a need, but I guarantee you that there are at least four corners that they like in the top 37 who they think they can land one of those two guys, one of those four guys. Michael, thank you for jumping out of the first round. Guilty as charged. Do this every single year. The only thing we worry about is the first round leading up to the draft when we know there's going to be six more rounds afterwards. And the, oh, by the way, the Eagles have 10 other picks in those rounds. So we underemphasize it and play catch up after the first round and start looking at everything else. In that vein, you talked about Ford and special teams and the like. We don't know what the Eagles' tenor is right now for special teams. New coaching staff, new potential ideas there, importance level of it is yet to be determined. Big part of it will be by the draft, guys who actually have skills in that way. Anybody who's not drafted in the first three rounds, you better be able, ready, willing, and able to help out on special teams and be able to contribute there. Uh, you got a guesstimate as to whether – after the draft is over and done with, we'll say, wow, the Eagles really did emphasize special teams or we didn't know coming in and we don't know going out. Yeah, I think you will. I think they're, that's what, you know, when, when you look at the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, the three targeting linebackers, probably you're targeting safeties, you're probably targeting another corner, you're targeting, you know, depth wide receivers. So, yeah, I think, I think they will emphasize special teams. Michael Clay, their new special teams coordinator, blew uh, Nick Sirianni away with his interview. Very well prepared, very smart, very, very organized. Uh, he comes from the Chip Kelly uh, tree, and everybody hears that in gas, but Chip Kelly emphasized special teams. That was like a big deal to him. And so I don't think you come from that tree and say, hey, we'll just take whoever. Look, Dave Fitt was very good under Chip Kelly. Uh, the last couple of years, he was not a very good special teams coordinator. And you saw the way the special teams kind of handled all of the injuries. They need to emphasize special teams. They brought in an ace in, in Andrew Adams. 
They, they're going to probably bring in two or three guys in uh, undrafted free agency or late in, later in the draft who are going to play. I'm interested to see if they bring in a punter because, frankly, the guy that they have right now has gotten a lot of pub, but he's never punted in an NFL game. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of shape the special teams group. I think they'll draft. I think they'll find a guy in undrafted free agency to compete with that punter. By the way. All right, last one from me, Mike, before I see you again in about 90 minutes on Zoom. Um, You mentioned, yeah, you mentioned punter. Um, Aaron Cepas is here. That's the guy you're talking about. Cam Johnson now with the Texans. The Eagles have 11 picks. Um, Do you draft a punter in in, in the seventh round? Do you draft a punter late in this draft? A couple guys to get from Georgia Tech I think would be very, very popular because he's huge. He throws the football. Um, any chance of that, that they actually draft a specialist? Obviously, it's not going to be kicker, so it's going to be punter. I mean, it'd be interesting. I mean, you get him locked up for four years and you can develop him. But if you draft a punter, that's your punter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I kind of want to give myself some wiggle room, especially because they gave uh, uh, the other guy some guaranteed money. What I would rather them do is draft a fullback in the seventh round. Yeah, there we go, fullback. I, I, I'm a 21 personnel advocate. I, I think it's time. I, I think it's time to bring back the fullback. All right. All right, last one for me. And it kind of ties into a question we asked earlier about who will ask a specific question in this upcoming draft media. And you guys referenced the guy who comes in with a hammer every single time. So I'm going to ask you to not identify an individual, but give me if this – is a possibility what type of person would ask this question. Will Howie Roseman be asked about Jeff Lurie's opinion on anything today? Will will someone attempt to elicit a Jeff Lurie opinion from Howie Roseman, despite everything that's been said about the Eagles and dysfunction over the last couple of weeks? I'd put a three-to-one odds on it. I, I mean, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I, I think... I think it needs to happen. Look, I, I think yeah. you have to ha- gain that perspective, right? It's a fair question. Everything's a fair question now. I mean, really. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes we don't ask fair questions. So that's, even if it wasn't a fair question, yeah. boom, there it is. So, I, I, uh, would put it, I would put it at two to one. I think it's going to happen. I, I think it's a very good bet. I think it's a fair question, as Mike said. Uh, the only way it doesn't happen is if you get bogged down. It's sort of you quickly get into the meat of things and you, you don't have a lot of time. So, but so, I think it's going to happen early. But, but he, then I have to uh, ask you, do you believe how his answer is? Well, I'm not going to say that he'll just uh, beg off and not yeah. give an answer and go, Hey, you guys called Jeffrey. I'm not going to talk about it. You think you're going to get me to talk about Jeffrey here? That's not happening. I got to believe that's the problem. That's the problem. And Mike, you chime in. That's the problem. You're not going to get a real answer. He's going to say everything's great. So, you know. Well, everything's about timing, right? Yeah. He's having a week to really digest this. Maybe he has an answer. Howie's very strategic. That's true. Uh, maybe he talked to Larry and said, look, this is what I'm going to say. Because uh, he knows this question's coming. They always yeah. know. Uh, yeah. It's very rare. Like, Howie himself, it very rarely is caught off guard by a question. Which... It, respect to him he knows he knows what's going on i appreciate him giving me the click i appreciate him giving us all the click but very rarely stunned by a question so i actually wouldn't be surprised if we got you know 20 to 20 
five words out of him on this one. If there is a stunning question asked today, I'm putting my money either on uh, Michael and or my partner, John McMullen. We'll have to tune in to find out. Michael, we appreciate you jumping aboard with us today. Good inside, brother. You know we'll be tapping into you plenty over the course of the year. Thanks for doing it today. Thanks, Mike. Michael K. Yeah, from NJ.com. It was on Birds 365. All right, quick time out. Come back, put a bow on the show. Let uh, McMullen get some breakfast before he's got to face off with Howie Roseman. Uh, come right back here with us on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods. The perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We, we looking. We're checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're you talking gotta about. You got to give us That's a heads up. Get you hip to it. Because they get you hip to it. No, no, no. no. We I have no idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Happy right. birthday! Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, I, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio, just like, what did he just say? Who's play talking action to? real? Play action real. His son Nick. Happy birthday, bro! And All then, right. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, uh, sixteen today. Yeah. I mean, BS. Today. Seriously, this is like AC Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds. And planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. D-A-T-L-E-N-E-O! Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Damn, those two hours came and went pretty darn quickly. Uh... Running out of time here on Birds 365. A couple of notes before we do exit stage left. 
Uh, you heard Barrett Brooks reading the stream on the middle. Uh, yeah. We had Barrett on our first week. We're going to have him join us again tomorrow. He never read the stream with us, and we'll keep him from reading the stream and just get his Eagle insights tomorrow. And we're going to have it be an NBC Sports Philly day because Ruben Frank is also going to join us on tomorrow's show. He'll be part of the Zoom conference with uh, Howie Roseman and Andy Weidel and maybe Nick Sirianni. We know Nick's going to be there. How uh, involved he will be, we won't know till after it's over and done with. So I'll end on this note, Johnny Mac. Going to let you set one of two over-unders. <clears throat> you can either go number of questions allowed in today's press gathering via Zoom, or you can go number of minutes, how long it's going to be between the time that they say, all right, first question is, boom, and go forward, set the clock. You've done a bunch of these. You've done draft ones before. Yeah. Some run longer than others. So I'm going to put your expertise. I to the should, test. you know, I should pay more attention because I've done, uh, I've done more of these than I care to remember, <laughs> and they all kind of run together. I'm going to say about 45 minutes. It's okay. typically longer than normal, so I'm going to say, especially with three people, they're going to give us about 45 minutes. All right. It should, so should be an he, hour. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a five-minute leeway either way, either on the short end or the back end. So if it runs anywhere between 40 minutes and 50 minutes, you're a winner. If it goes 55, shame on you. If it goes right. a half well, an shame hour, on shame on you. I'll tell you who would know this, Zach Berman. I mean, Zach has an encyclopedic knowledge. He'll tell you, oh, last year it was 45. 2017, it was 55. I mean, really? he, he remembers everything. Exactly. I, I just go. Time, so. I just go on to the next thing. And <laughs> conveniently forget about it. Well, conveniently uh, be part of it today. Looking forward to chatting you up tomorrow. Uh, I'll be watching as well, either live or downloading it and watching it thereafter. You know, that's going to be a big part of our show tomorrow, and we do have. Both Ruben Frank and Barrett Brooks scheduled to join us tomorrow. Part of a good show today. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. You're going to have some writing to do. Uh, I hope you get in that cleanup spot, your favorite spot as far as the questions go. Uh, I'll talk to you about it tomorrow. Here. Yeah, and Rube, by the way, yeah, good odds on him getting the first question. That's always a possibility. So he's a good he's a good leadoff guy. He's a good leadoff guy. All right, we'll see if Rube's got the leadoff spot. Uh, we'll be leading off your Birds Day tomorrow. That's 22 hours from now, right here on Birds 365. Talk to you tomorrow. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.